This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 75th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great. Cameron, how are you? I'm doing well. Are you great because the Chiefs won the freaking Super Bowl? That's certainly a big reason uh that how about that we we got to watch it together all three of us even though cameron this producer cameron's a broncos fan Ew, that's too bad that's too bad but you know we're all good sports about it we're all we're all good friends nonetheless absolutely and, uh, it was a good game yeah a lot of fun i started losing hope there a little bit started getting a little sad but i didn't want to say anything out loud but i was like this, yeah this might I think I saw the 49ers had a uh, 96% chance to win at the time when Mahomes threw his second interception when Tyreek Hill kind of missed the pass, and it's not looking good. Patrick Mahomes, the a.k.a. the fraudulent MVP. Oof. Yeah. Should have been. Probably should have been Damian Williams. Yeah. I understand why they made it Mahomes, but if we're if we're going off like single-handedly best performance from that game alone, it probably was Damian Williams. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, pretty good run now for uh, sports in Missouri. Yeah. Cardinals, obviously, not so much recently, but uh, got the Royals in there, obviously the Blues, now the Chiefs. We're just missing uh, the Missouri Tigers. Although you could point to you know some success in wrestling, track and field, swimming, softball, and some close calls in football recently. But lately, not so much. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think I ever see Mizzou like winning a national championship. Like maybe they will someday. I don't know. But in football or basketball, pro- yes. Yeah. Um, you know, if I could see the basketball team make like a Final Four in my lifetime, I think that would be the equivalent. Yeah. Uh, to me, I mean, that would be fantastic. That would be something they've never done before. And it's doable. And I guess honestly, same thing with football. I think that making the playoff is probably something they could accomplish someday. Yeah. If they were to win the SEC championship game, it would be, it's pretty far fetched, but it's definitely something that could happen. Yeah. And maybe they ex- expand the playoff to eight teams at some point. I still think that would be really awesome to see them make that. So never know. Yeah. Just getting to the SEC championship game in football feels like just a huge task. Yeah. Exactly. Right now, I think I'd just be satisfied with some wins, though. So, I don't know about you. (laughs) Yeah, that would that would definitely help. Really, that would help. Yes. Um, We had some recruiting wins. Yeah, we did. What what does that do for you? Does that? It certainly helps. I mean, it's something to get excited about, but it gives it gives you that hope that we've talked about the last couple weeks. Not a whole lot of hope, and at least on the basketball side of things right now, but. Uh, football, I, I would say, is very, very much the opposite. I'm, I'm excited about what the future looks like for football potentially. Before we get uh, really deep into National Signing Day and the news, um, I do want to mention we uh, are now on YouTube. So even if you don't plan on watching us or listening to us on YouTube, uh, if you have a YouTube account, if you have a Gmail account, you do have a YouTube account. So just go ahead and navigate over there and hit that subscribe button if you don't mind. Hello, if you're watching us. Yep. See what um, we look like, our goofy faces and yep. our nice little studio. Yeah, we need to get some decor up in here. Yeah, we definitely do. We never really had a big reason for it. Well, it'll be new in about a month. That's true. We're going to be Let's fi- figure out what we're going to do there. Oof. Uh, my wife watched the video and said, I need to work on my posture. So I'm going <laughs> to try to sit up a little straighter. Uh, this episode was she saying any good things about it or um, i mean i think she, you've been really putting together some nice performances personally but yeah she's um she's really there for the constructive criticism okay that's fine <laughs> and uh, i would say she's not the best to really like analyze the content uh for how good it is so i guess we're just gonna have to do that ourselves well i happen to notice last week you came in here with just a nice looking haircut so oh, at yeah. least you had that going yeah, for you it still looks that. nice thank you so yeah I'm, that's going to be my excuse for more frequent haircuts, probably. There you go. 
But yes, we're on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button over there. Um, tell your friends about us. Again, even if you don't listen to us on all the platforms, just uh, if you, any way that you can uh, support us is really appreciated. Um, we're gonna obviously talk about National Signing Day Volume Two. We're gonna talk about basketball. The I was gonna say the good and the bad, but it's pretty much all bad. But at the end, we are going to bring back a segment mizzou basketball where are they now where we look at a player uh, from mizzou's past who did not stay with the program and we're going to see if kyle can figure out who i'm talking about i'm going to give him a few clues so make sure you stay till the end for that or skip to the end if if we're being honest and you don't want to hear about uh, basketball losses but that is there for you as well but first we have news and it is all about national signing day volume two so the early signing period was in December, and Missouri had a, a, a ten-man group yeah, there that 10. signed at that point. Uh, since then, they have officially added graduate transfer wide receiver Damon Hazelton Jr. and JUCO transfer Benjamin Key. They, since they uh, graduated from their previous institutions, they were able to sign at any time. Uh, then we have some just traditional. Um, signees that uh, will be freshmen and they have to, to wait to sign um, till February 5th um, that was yesterday so I'll go through and just name the folks that did sign and then we can spotlight a few of them and maybe look at where we go from here so this is just in order of the signings as they came through yesterday uh, wide receiver from Alabama Chris Abrams Draney Probably just drain. Drain. It's okay. I don't know. Uh, defensive lineman from Mississippi. You've heard of him. Mantra Edwards Jr. Defensive back from Texas. Ennis. Rakestraw Jr. Offensive lineman from Mississippi. Dylan Spencer. Defensive lineman from Florida. Johnny Walker. Uh, that's one, two, three, four, five signees yesterday. Yeah, I honestly really like this this haul quite a bit i think it addresses um some immediate need that we have for next year obviously with damon hazelton jr and benjamin key being like the two that really stick out as experienced college players that can contribute immediately and hopefully they can do that because we're going to need it um in those in those positions especially d-line going forward after after this upcoming season we graduate so many people so that's going to be super thin going forward, even with these additions. So we're really going to not only need these guys to show up and be there, but actually really produce and and uh, show up on the field because I don't know who's going to perform. <laughs> you know, after this year, there's there may not be a, a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of familiar names two years from now. So yeah, I think the, that these uh, this addresses the needs for sure pretty well. Um, I'll kind of go down the line here a little bit. Um, Chris Adams drain or excuse me Chris Abrams drain from uh, Alabama number one wide receiver from Alabama he actually played quarterback in high school um, I think he played several different positions I think cornerback as well I watched a little video from I think maybe 2018 or 2019 of him at like a rivals camp um, doing wide receiver drills and stuff and he looked really good looked very smooth athlete um, good hands and obviously it seems like okay yeah wide receiver is going to have good hands but sometimes you can just tell when guys are more natural catchers than others and I think this guy looks like he just it's easy for him to catch the ball and it looks natural for him and um, I, I like that kind of wide receiver because whenever you got, got a bunch of guys that can't catch the ball very well like we kind of saw in Mizzou's most recent season it's so frustrating and you just want to have guys that you can rely on to throw the tough tough passes to and I think that he can be that um, I'll skip down to, um, well, I guess I'll go to Mantra Edwards Jr. We've, we've are super familiar with him at this point, but again, he's a defensive lineman interior going to fill a need, especially down the road. Um, and he connected us with Dylan Spencer. Um, I guess he kind of said, Hey coach, you should recruit this guy. So, and Dylan Spencer is an offensive tackle. I think he played defensive tackle in high school. Uh, and then of course, Ennis Rakestraw Jr., man, uh, huge huge win for us and obviously coach was super excited about it i was excited about it i i was surprised i was surprised yeah i i don't i think because i watched his recruitment pretty closely in the last few weeks 
you know, I saw multiple in-home visits with, with Alabama and going to Texas and just like there's these programs want this guy. He's and, from Texas. Right. And he's publicly said that Alabama's his dream school. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's almost just like, like part of me wants to, you know, think like surely something happened where his offer wasn't committable. Yeah. I don't know. But I think at this point, I'm just going to be happy that he's coming to Missouri. Obviously, he's a really good player that those programs wanted or really, really considered either way. So. If you look at his, if you just look him up on the recruiting uh, sites, though, he won't jump out at you. I mean, he's his ranking is just like kind of middle of the road for Missouri's signing class. But he blew up uh, his senior year and just kind of, I don't know, he just kind of took over. And he had multiple matchups that I saw people talking about on Twitter with highly rated wide receivers that are going to, I think one was going to Ohio State. And he was just shutting guys down or, you know, limiting these guys that usually go for 12 catches and 200 yards in a high school game to, you know, five catches for 35 yards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's just a super well-rounded, versatile prospect at, at cornerback. And he's exact height that you'd want to see in, in six foot. Um, he's not too terribly skinny. You know, he's going to have to put on some weight. I think he's around like 175 right now, but um, so obviously he may not be like an immediate contributor, but definitely a guy who has the potential to be uh, an impact player right away if if they need him to be. And uh, yeah, he just does everything well. And I watched his film. Um, you know, it wasn't super like he didn't have like a ton of interceptions or anything like that, but it, it was just him shutting guys down like every single play. It was him just like not allowing you know, the wide receiver to uh, get p good position on him or, or catch the pass. And um, he had a couple pretty hard hits for, and for a guy, he is kind of small. So it was pretty impressive to see, you know, the, how hard he was hitting some of those guys. So definitely a guy I'm excited about, obviously. Um, Johnny, you think of, did you see the video of him like announcing? Oh yeah. With, yeah. And he, I don't know, he kind of like did a double fake out where he picked up at one point he had like all three hats in his hand. And yeah. he gave the other hats to the other people sitting there. Yeah, he that's why the in the video with uh, with Coach Drinkwitz, he's just like watching the video for the first like ten or twelve seconds yeah, before just like he trying to figure out anything. what is happening right now. Exactly. Yeah. That video that uh, Mizzou social media team put out was awesome, though. Yeah. And I saw that it was commented on by Lane Kiffin, and he was like, "That's Lane Kiffin said that that just talked about how cool that was to see, and how he liked what Drinkwitz was doing." I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Yeah. Yeah, he said he liked his sweater too. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was really cool to see. I think I just happened to see that video like right after they posted it, mm -hmm. and man, I was just smiling so big. Oh, that yeah. It was just so cool to see a coach like in his kind of vulnerable first moment of like knowing that this big prospect has chosen your school. Yeah, and it was just seemed so genuine, and he was you could tell he was kind of surprised. Yeah, I liked the as he was like going through the offices, interacting with everybody and yeah. high-fiving people and just like people were coming out of their offices, you know, giving a fist pump and yeah, everybody man. was pretty excited. It's like you've put in the hard work for this guy and it, and it finally like really paid off. You, you made connections with who you needed to, the influencers in his life and really paid off and that's got to feel good. Uh, moving on, we talked about Johnny Walker last week. He's uh, played outside linebacker in high school. He's going to play defensive end for Missouri uh, super speedy guy. I'm probably gonna have to put on some weight, but, um, could be really good. Uh, then chance looper is a guy that didn't sign yesterday. Um, but he will eventually, I'm sure it's in some capacity, but I have heard a rumor that they're looking potentially at making him a preferred walk on. Um, because if you recognize the last name, his father is an assistant coach, I think running backs coach or in some capacity he's on the, the offensive offense, side, yeah. uh, as an assistant coach. So, and um, we know that Missouri's got some scholarship reduction issues with all of the NCAA stuff. Um, so we, we're going to have to get creative with how we, you know, fill all the scholarships. And so there's technically not really room for all of these signees. So there's going to be some transfers out. Um, but if your parent works for the university, then you get free tuition. So, yeah. So I think they'll they'll find a way to... Uh, at least at some point, I'm sure he'll pro he'll probably have a scholarship. But at least right off the bat, he's not going to be on the scholarship list. He's still going to be on the team as a preferred walk-on. So helping make the numbers work. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's it's savvy and it it's uh, I don't know just doing what it 
what what you have to do to win sometimes. Uh, there was two other guys that were uh, associated with Missouri, but uh, had kind of the recruitment had cooled a little bit. Uh, obviously, we we know about Jalen St. John. Um, there was rumors that it was down to Missouri and Arkansas, but I think you know we talked about a few weeks ago that Missouri was out uh, with him, so he did sign with Arkansas. And then another guy named Eddie Watkins, who was down to uh, Mizzou, West Virginia, and another team, but I think it was pretty well known that he was going to West Virginia. He did sign with West Virginia, so no, no big surprises. Nobody uh, flipping to Missouri that we didn't really expect. Obviously, Rake Straw's big decision we didn't know, but there wasn't anybody that we just like kind of pulled out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, I would say it was a really, really fun day to follow along on social media, and it felt good. Um, I was happy with with how it went for sure, and um, I'm really excited about the energy in the program right now. And uh, I think we did about as good as you could possibly do, considering Drinkwitz got the job like a month ago or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, now that the class is complete, uh, we do have one four-star player, according to uh, 24/7 Sports. That's JJ Hester. Everybody else is a three-star, and they still sit at 13th in the SEC. So they were only able to surpass Vanderbilt, uh, but they did climb to 50th in the national rankings. So when you're in the SEC, obviously you want to be competitive, but sometimes you kind of have to put it in perspective mm-hmm. with how elite the SEC is in recruiting on a national scale. Mm-hmm. You know, teams that are middle of the road in the SEC are top 25 recruiting classes in the nation. Yep. So also damon hazelton jr and benjamin key i don't think factor into that ranking but true probably because they're transfers yeah. change it a whole lot but um yeah i mean that's why we play the games though you know is because recruiting analysts can miss on people and sometimes i think they rank players on their immediate impact potential rather than their long-term potential so obviously guys develop and and uh develop skills they didn't necessarily have in high school or whatever the case is there's a million things that could happen and I do believe that there is a an artificial bump sometimes given to a guy because of specific teams on his offer list. Sure. And it, very specifically in basketball, we see that all the time with Kansas. Mm-hmm. You oh, know, yeah. There will be an they under-the-radar under guy, guy yeah. and then he gets a Kansas offer, and then now he's like They're, the top yeah. player in the state. The recruiting analysts are like, oh, okay, this guy yeah. must be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, so that has to happen to some extent with uh, Alabama kids or or uh, you know, yeah, guys that are getting offered by Texas and mm-hmm. LSU and the type. Yeah, I think that's why I, I that typically it's the first thing I look at is is his offer list, right? And I think that's what made Rake Straw so exciting is because we knew the uh, our competitors. So. You don't typically see a Mizzou bump though. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's down. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, if this guy had to go to Mizzou, then what does that say about him? Yeah. It, it means we want him. Right. It means he fits our culture, right? <laughs> but uh, with these recruiting classes, Missouri has to develop guys. I yeah. mean, that's, that's been, that way. been that way. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So can't rely on – I mean, every once in a while you get a, a DGB yeah. or a Jeremy Macklin that can come in and be an impact guy his first year, but pretty rare. Uh, anything else news or football related before we get into basketball? Yeah, it covers it. I'll be honest with you, Kyle. I'll be honest with our viewers, listeners. We don't want to spend too much time talking about this basketball team this week. Uh, they lost twice. Both games were incredibly ugly. Uh, we will recap them a little bit and just kind of give our thoughts, but it's, I don't know, It's it's pretty much... The wheels are off. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for National Signing Day, this episode would be titled something like Mizzou Basketball is Lost. <laughs> because that's what it feels yeah, like. I don't know what we would have talked about. <laughs> yeah. Um, short podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I have a few thoughts. Uh, we've touched on kind of the state of the program a few times in the <laughs> last two months or so. I do have some thoughts to add to that at the end here. Uh, but first... Missouri lost to South Carolina 76 to 54. I was an idiot. I thought that they could maybe win two road games. uh, And then they lost to South Carolina by 22. No Mark Smith or Jeremiah Tillman in this game. I honestly thought there was a possibility they could both play in this game. It was, it was kind of up in the air uh, for both of them. And then obviously Tillman played against A&M 
Um, Xavier Pinson had 12 points. Uh, he was three of four from three. The rest of the team, Kyle, was one of 15 from three. Yikes. Yeah, <clears throat> I watched most of this game. I, I don't think that I finished it. Um, I will be honest that I didn't really watch the A&M game super closely. I kind of had it up on my phone, you know, the whole game, and I was kind of checking in and watching some, uh, but just doing other stuff because, quite frankly, after losing to South Carolina by 22 points, I just kind of feel like this team doesn't, like – deserve me blocking out two hours of my life for to sit down and watch them like I normally would and yeah. and that doesn't mean I'm not gonna pay attention and everything I'm still gonna you know watch watch the game as much as I can but I'm not gonna just make it my priority for the night like I usually do in the past but um unless things and a lot of that had to do also with just them playing A&M you know right. I knew it was gonna be such a boring game yep. both teams second are bad. time we played them this both year both teams are play really slow it's yeah. gonna be ugly um there's not even really like any key players you know yeah. like future nba guys There's that you really want to watch literally nothing exciting about the game and even if there was you already played them yeah so uh let's see here the south carolina game though uh, missouri shot 39 percent from two 21 from three they only attempted 15 free throws against one of the worst fouling teams in the country that was one thing we previewed about south carolina Missouri got out-rebounded. They turned the ball over 17 times and had their shot blocked nine times. That was something that I that was so glaring in the South Carolina game was just block after block after block. Just mm-hmm. like, jeez, they can't get anything going. Yeah, and it's not like South Carolina is a great defensive team, especially in the interior. It's like, how how are you guys getting owned by this team of all of all people? And you know, we talked about Mike Kotsar being kind of a, a pesky player, and I remember him just you know not necessarily being like a crazy scorer or anything he was just always just kind of doing the little things that were frustrating as yeah, as like, the opponent yeah tipping a ball for an offensive rebound right. or stuff like that taking a charge mm-hmm. you know doing those kind of annoying things yeah but in this game he was like the superstar yeah 21 and, and 11 he just was everywhere and he was so efficient and he made everything literally i think he probably was almost perfect from the field at least it was at one point in the game like six or six i think six for six at one point so i don't know it was he just he looked like michael jordan against us yeah, um, he, at least he ended up game. seven of eight so he was probably i think he may have been seven for seven at one point uh yeah they couldn't stop him uh just to tell you kind of like how the two different offenses played south carolina had five players with an offensive rating greater than 100 100 is considered average and Missouri had one. It was Reed Nico at 102. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believe that. I I watched him struggle for two hours. I believe that. Drew Smith and Mitchell Smith were a combined 0 for 8 from 3. Uh, Trey Jackson played 16 minutes. Kobe Brown played 14 minutes. Just one time I'd like to just see them just play... 30 you know, minutes yeah 25 until to 30 they fell out or something yeah. yeah it may not take very long uh trey jackson i think fouled out last week in like 12 minutes or something mm-hmm. i still south carolina is five and three well they they've got one more game they've had one more game since then of course they lost to ole miss <laughs> that's so. just how it's been going this year man for i think really everybody in college basketball it's been a strange year Moving on to Texas A&M, Missouri lost this one 68-51. to 51. Uh, no, no Mark Smith again, but Jeremiah Tillman did play 12 minutes. He recorded two points, four rebounds, and a block shot. Didn't look too bad. Um, kind of got to limit him a little bit probably. 12 minutes seemed about right. Just kind of get his feet mm-hmm. wet again. Yeah, it looked like he um, looked pretty good, in the, at least in the times that I happened to be watching my phone. I saw um at one point he had it down low and kicked it back out to kobe brown for a three and so that looked nice just kind of one of those things that um just helps the offense in general the, the fluidity of of the offense pretty sure his two points came on the finishing end of an alley-oop that mm-hmm. just looked you know like vintage jeremiah tillman yep. when he's on his game uh funny note from this one javon pickett found a way to commit six personal fouls and you're only allowed five in college and that was because he committed a foul about half court. They blew the whistle just a tad late, but then the offensive player continued for the layup, and he was, wasn't having that. So he fouled him again. <laughs> so they called a technical foul. So 
he committed his fifth foul and then his sixth foul because they called technical on him. So he is listed in the box score as committing six fouls in this game. Wow. He thought he was in so the like NBA So it wasn't a, a mistake. It was just actually like he actually somehow find yeah. a way, found a way to, uh, to do that. Wow. Uh, Kyle, tell me if this sounds familiar. Missouri shot 36% from two, 26% from three. They were out-rebounded this time 49 to 30, and they turned the ball over 17 times. They also committed 31 fouls to A&M's 19. That's, I mean, that's just so, so ugly. Yeah. Like, everything about that. There's nothing even remotely average or acceptable about any of those numbers you just told me. At one point in the second half, um, they, Missouri was down by one, 29 to 30. After that, Texas A&M went on a 13 to two run. And then about five minutes later, went on a 12 to two run. I genuinely just kind of feel like this season needs to end because like, I feel like everybody in the team just like is playing way. I mean, none of them are super talented, but maybe outside of Jeremiah Tillman, but everybody just needs to like re like reset their brains or something. I don't know. Like everybody is just like a zombie out there, man. And including me, like the fans need a break too. Like just, I don't know. Because you know what happens over the offseason and we start to like oh, yeah. think that they're going to rebound the next year yeah. and, and be fine. We were talking like Missouri could finish top four or five in the SEC not that long ago. So so uh, time, what is it, time, time heals all wounds or something yes. like that. So, yeah, absence, we, we need some time. Also, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, so whatever. maybe a little bit of time away from this team, <laughs> we'll learn to love them again. <laughs> I knew I was probably messing up that phrase in some way. No, that was a good one. Oh, that was a good one? Okay, yeah. thanks. We're all, we're all about the phrases here. <laughs> Uh, Missouri is now projected to finish. Guess what, Kyle? Thirteenth in the SEC. Really? To Ken Not last. Okay. Well, that's second to last, and the SEC media are will not watch a single game of Missouri this season, except for maybe the Kentucky game. They'll look at the standings at the end of the year, and they'll be like, "We told you." Yep. It sucks. Uh, in the SEC, they are 13th in offensive efficiency and 12th in defensive efficiency. And we've got nine games left plus one in the SEC tournament. Are they going to qualify for the tournament? SEC tournament? Everybody gets in, unfortunately, unless you are <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, unless you are barred from the tournament due to sanctions, which that has happened to Missouri. Do you remember so. when um, we beat Auburn? in the uh sec tournament not that long ago like on a buzzer yeah. beater yeah and auburn now, was playing in the play-in game of the sec tournament like three seasons ago and coached now, by bruce pearl and since then they've made a final four and i think right now they're like 18 and two all that tells me is that can be missouri they're cheating <laughs> that too <laughs> missouri that could still be missouri and they lost all three of their top scorers last year yeah. and they're still like 18 and two yeah they're jealous pretty good. yeah but do you really want Bruce Pearl as your coach? If we win, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> okay, well, remember Kyle said that, everyone. He doesn't care as long as you win. Wow. I'm at that point. Some of us have a little bit uh, moral, a little bit more moral fiber than Kyle, apparently. I think everybody cheats, Cameron. Excuse me? Except for a lot of coaches, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, I guess there's different levels of cheating. Some people say that hiring a uh, prospects dad to your assistant staff is cheating probably so. so um let's see here next up missouri plays at home against arkansas about two months ago this was a game i had circled like hey maybe that'd be a fun one to go attend it actually is now ending ending up being the rally for ryan game Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the first loss in the Rally for Ryan series, but that's not what's most important in that game. It's about raising some money for a good cause. But Arkansas is 16-6, and 4-5 and five in the SEC, number 34 in Ken Palm, 88th on offense, 16th on defense, and uh, playing really well for a first-year head coach, Eric Musselman, uh, who came to them by way of Nevada. Yeah, this program's got some some energy, momentum, that's for sure. 
Uh, I did not realize they were four and five in the SEC. I thought they were doing a little bit better than that, but still really, really solid team. Um, pretty explosive. Yeah, some of that explosive, explos, explosive, explosiveness. That's the word. Nice. Uh, will be gone because they're without Isaiah Joe. It was a sharp shooting guard, taking a little bit of a dip this season compared to last year, but he just went underwent knee surgery. So he is out indefinitely, um, but that didn't really stop them too much against Auburn. They lost a heartbreaker at home. I believe that was at home to Auburn that went into overtime. They still looked really good in that one. Obviously, Auburn is one of the better teams in the SEC. Um, and they still have uh, junior guard Mason Jones, who is one of the very best players in the SEC. He's averaging 20 points per game, six rebounds, and three and a half assists. Did you notice on the show notes you wrote 20 people? Yeah, 20, 20 people. That's okay. I knew what you meant. 20 points per something that starts with an L. <laughs> Yeah, I actually didn't know that Isaiah Joe had knee surgery. How long has he been out? Uh, I think that was the first game that he missed was the Auburn game. I could be wrong on that, though. But it was very recent. Um, Another player that you may have heard of is Columbia, Missouri native Jimmy Witt, who, interestingly enough, started his career at Arkansas as a freshman before transferring to SMU. And then, as a graduate transfer, has now transferred back to Arkansas. I think we talked about this when it was news at the time. Um, and he's having a pretty good senior season. He is definitely not. He's a. I think he's kind of a guard hybrid, a guard forward hybrid. Um, not. Not a very good three point shooter, but he doesn't shoot any threes. I think he's literally shot like one this season. Hmm. Yeah, he's over one. But uh, was he kind of a high volume shooter coming out of high school? For some reason, I thought I, that he was that kind of player. But I mean. High volume, yes, but not from range, really, even in high school. Um, but ball dominant, getting to the rim. I remember following his recruitment and when he was in high school. Man, that feels like a really long time ago. And, uh, yeah. yeah, he's had a really strange kind of bumpy career, but I guess it's good for him that he's kind of finding his stroke a little bit again back yeah. at the same school he started at. Right, yeah, came, came full circle. Um, he just to put it in perspective, his like ability to get to the rim, he has attempted 262 two point shots this season. That's the most on Arkansas. Second most is Mason Jones with 150. Wow. So when he gets it, he is taking it to the rack or he is slashing through the lane or something because that's that's pretty much all he does. Um, we need a guy see. like that. Hmm? I said we need a guy like that. Yeah, as somebody that or could multiple do it successfully. I mean, yeah, I mean on top of that, he's shooting fifty-two percent on his two pointers. So, and at six-three, he's listed at six-three one seventy-five. So, hmm. that's just what that he is does. really bizarre for him to have consistently that role when probably being one of the shorter guys on the court. Mm-hmm. I want to compare that to, let's see here, Javon Pickett. A little bit bigger guy. Um, he has attempted 100, 117 two-pointers and has made 43% of them. Kobe Brown is pretty much the only, like, guy that's not a legitimate post player that has a decent percentage from two um arkansas is seventh in the sec in both offensive and defensive efficiency so i obviously when you're about when you're near top half in both you're going to be a pretty decent team um ken palm has them finishing 10 and 8 in the conference so they've got them going on a little bit of a run here at the end of conference play, but definitely a team that at least I expect to see in the NCAA tournament. Oh, absolutely, yeah. What are you thinking about this one? Oh man, I really wish there would be a rally for Ryan Miracle, keep the streak going. But I, I mean, I predicted two wins last week, and Missouri lost by a combined seventy billion points. So 
I don't think I'm going to predict a win this week. I mean, there, uh, there's literally almost nothing that gives you confidence that Missouri could win this game no. outside of like playing at home, playing helps. at home and hope you just somehow make a lot more shots than you normally do somehow against a defense. That's really good. Yeah. I'm going to uh, predict. Yeah, uh, go I'm. Uh, thank you. I'm going to predict that this game is actually kind of close. Not like, I don't know. I'll predict the final score is 71 to 59, but it'll be close with six or seven minutes left. I'm going 79-63 Arkansas, and it was close with about 12 minutes left. <laughs> it was a, it was a single-digit game. Missouri goes on one of those little like eight to two runs, and then doesn't like doesn't score the rest. And of the then half. gives up a 14 to two run. Yeah, yeah. Like the crowd's like okay, and then they like don't score again. At least there will be a crowd since it's a rally for Ryan game. Yeah, that's not something we could say. I, I mean, maybe. Maybe people come out anyway to see Arkansas, but a little bit of a rivalry there. I don't know. The program's kind of like reaching ridiculous lows, though. So, And that's know. probably why they went ahead and scheduled this game for this date mm-hmm. because I don't know how, what all goes into that, but it may be <laughs> just a little like, okay, we need a little bit of a pick-me-up before we just lose all <laughs> interest. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, then Missouri goes on the road to play LSU. LSU is 17-5, and 8-1 in the SEC, 37th in Ken Palm, 6th on offense, 151st on defense. So basically reverse Arkansas. Uh, that one loss in the SEC play just came to Vanderbilt, who is projected to be to finish last in the conference. I think that's the first SEC game Vanderbilt's won since the 2000... 2002? <laughs> 2002. Uh, I don't know. It's been a couple seasons since yeah. they've won an SEC game. Yeah, their last conference win actually came in the final game of the 2018 season. I also saw a comment, I believe, from Will... 18 last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Will Wade, I believe, and he was complimenting Jerry Stackhouse on their offense being at least difficult to plan against, mm. um, even though they're terrible. But he... You might want to look this up just to double-check that I have it right, but I think he said... Uh, there are some teams in our league that are dying on the vine. So at least, like... You guys were hard to, to plan, game plan against. And, well, if you look at the rest of the SEC standings, who's who's close to Vanderbilt? Yeah. So, Will Wade, nice little, sh- nice little shot. You think there's going to be uh, a lot of game planning going on for Mizzou's offense, like to prepare for Mizzou's offense? Let's say they're without Mark Smith again. Surely not by then. If sh- Surely if he... Maybe he doesn't play in the Arkansas game, but surely he's back for the LSU game. So it adds maybe one little wrinkle, something you have to prepare for. Yeah, I don't know what kind of preparation goes into the level of game you're playing in, but I don't know how much that affects the level of preparation that goes in, but they're probably not too worried about Mizzou. Especially at home for them. Mm -hmm. Um, One other thing that I forgot to mention about the Texas A&M game, Drew Smith attempted four field goals in a game without Mark Smith where he played Drew Smith played 35 minutes I don't get it man 0 for 4 from the field but he did have 7 assists yeah I'm not really sure either Uh, back to LSU though uh, they have wins over Tennessee Arkansas Florida Texas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge and Alabama so some pretty decent uh, conference win so far and then they were taken they were taken to overtime by texas a&m and then obviously they just lost to vanderbilt so they have kind of like everybody else in the sec a propensity to kind of be up and down and maybe could lose to anybody at any time um obviously yes will wade is still their head coach somehow um, and they lost a lot last year including tremont waters and Nas reed who are both in the nba but they returned skylar mays javante smart and emmett williams who were big uh key parts to their um 
team the last year that won the sec mm-hmm. i kind of hate everything about will wade and lsu and i'm still mad at them for like the insane comeback they had on us last year but i do have to kind of tip the cap to skylar mays because i think he's just an incredible player and it's kind of fun to watch he's not super like athletically gifted but he just is so crafty and just always like, making plays always makes shots yep. yeah just everything seems to always go in for him and uh he's a fun player to watch they have the number one offense in the sec according to the advanced analytics uh, as far as offensive efficiency and they are led by skylar mays at 15 points per game this time on my notes it autocorrected to pig so 15 pig but they have four other players averaging double figures um they have great size pretty much all the way up and down their starting lineup plus a couple of key reserves so they just are one of the best teams in the country at finishing at the rim i think they're sixth in two-point field goal percentage offense um that does not bode well for missouri because missouri's defense is 12th in the sec at two-point field goal percentage of defense missouri's just not about those two-point plays are they they're not good at scoring them they're not good at defending them well in sec play they have not been good at defending anything except apparently creating a little bit of havoc they're still number two in turnovers and steals yeah they they definitely uh at some point in the season forgot that they only know how to play really good defense because they've kept the poor offense thing going from the beginning of the season but they they forgot the other uh, integral part of how to win games. Yeah, you always to, see something like on Ken Palm, you can just click a little button that changes it from their whole season to conference only. And you always see something that's like, oh, that did not match up to the non-conference schedule. And that does not, their rating in the nation is quite a bit different than how they stack up in the SEC. And this year it was literally every defensive statistic. So, how badly is LSU going to beat Missouri? I'm going to say 82-62. LSU. Um, I think LSU 82. That sounds about right. What's Kim Palm predicting? Uh, Kim Palm is predicting 79-68. to 68. Uh, that sounds a little too close yeah if they're up by a lot you know to start the second half though maybe maybe they ease off a little bit um i'm gonna say lsu wins 80 to 64 so just a little bit closer than you had um i said at the beginning that I wanted to talk just a little bit about the state of the program one more time. And I think it's interesting. The fact that, um, Conzo Martin cannot, according to his contract, cannot be fired after this season because it's getting to the point where if that wasn't the case, I, and a lot of people are saying this because they don't know that this is the case. Um, our listeners are more educated than the average Mizzou fan. So, they we know he can't be fired people are still saying that he should be at the end of the season or right now and if that wasn't the case then i think a lot more people would be saying that uh, people that you might actually respect their opinion of (laughs) and i think that creates an interesting dynamic for next season because if this season continues like it is and they win you know five conference games and they're at the bottom of the sec then next year is absolutely a make or break season and it won't really matter what the recruiting class coming in will look like at that point you'll be looking at a situation where if this squad next year wins less than 18 games less than nine conference games are we looking at a coaching change? Probably. What What do you think? This is kind of a ridiculous question, but what do you think the odds would be of Conzo Martin getting fired at the end of this season? Let's just assume things continue how they are. What would the odds be of that if, if, if that was a thing that could happen? 
Um, <clears throat> not very good. I think that he would still be here. Um, but, I mean, honestly, if you look at it, it kind of feels like a Barry Odom situation where there was a lot of high hopes for this season, and it was really disappointing, especially the second half of the year, which is exactly what happened in football. Uh, the only main difference that I can think of is that Conzo Martin was hired by Jim Sterk, and Jim Sterk and Barry Odom clearly never, from the beginning, never really seemed to be on the same page. So that probably plays a, a pretty big role. And also, I don't know, with the, there's probably not as much like buyout implications that went into the Barry Odom situation. With Conzo's situation, oh, man. like the, Contractually, well, it's completely different. Right. What is it? We have like a $3 million buyout if we fire him after next season. I mean, that's insane. That is... A ridiculous amount of money. Somebody will step up, though. Yeah. A booster will step up and, and help out. You're probably right. If that's really what needs to happen. Right. So after this season, though, no. I, I mean, just because he's the Jim Sterks guy, I feel like he's sticking around probably 90%. And as much as we did have hype going into this year, you know, people, obviously, we've talked many times about how everybody disagreed with the SEC media. You got to look at next season as well. Don't know about Jeremiah Tillman, but Drew Smith, senior Drew Smith, senior Mark Smith, all these, you know, the core sophomores are now juniors. I mean, you just have to look at the scholarships and see that you're only losing Reed Nico and potentially bringing everybody else back. I see that as more of a, okay, these are your guys. You know, this is the kind of the year to really show us what what's going on. Yeah, next year will be the year where everybody's kind of had a few years in the program. Everybody's been together on the same page for for a little while. Um, if things don't work out next year, then yeah, it's just going to be like starting over time for sure. Where probably going to be half the team's going to be completely different because some of them will graduate and some of them will probably transfer out um, and maybe find a grad transfer destination or whatever the case is. It's gonna if if next year looks like this year, it's one hundred percent. It's yeah, next year, next year can't look like this year. There has to be significant improvement. And I would even take modest improvement at this point. I got to remember where we are now on February 6th with how terrible everything looks and not get too uh, hyped up at the beginning of next season and predict, you know, an SEC or a NCAA tournament bubble team because how can that be a realistic next step from this season? Mm-hmm. But some improvement and you basically have to think about this season as year two of a rebuild there was a an artificial injection of talent that first season and even i mean i'm talking about like cassius robertson and jante being like the two main guys yeah uh, jordan barnett you know you were going to have him regardless but those those two mpj not playing you know negates that but those two coming into the program and being as good as they were was kind of just like an artificial, like I said, injection of talent mm-hmm. that immediately Normally fell off. Normally wouldn't be there, yeah, right. and fell off immediately, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of see where we were there and uh, just kind of try to get some realistic expectations for the next six months or so. I would really love to... This will never happen in a billion years, but I just wish I had like the ability to sit down with Conzo for like 10 minutes and just be like, tell me what's going on. Like why, like I want your honest explanation for why, why the lack of recruiting? Are you just waiting until the season's over because you don't want to host people on campus because the game atmosphere is awful. And honestly, that might be the case. Maybe he just wants to wait until the season's over so we can stop being in the news like yeah. negatively every twice a week we're in the news for like getting killed by south carolina and other random sec teams so maybe he just wants to kind of get the struggles out of the forefront and recruit guys in the off season um i want an explanation for like why is the offense so bad like is it is it because it's too complicated and or is it just because guys aren't making shots and why are we playing defense anymore especially since we know we're terrible on offense I just don't. well he he flat out said he's questioning the toughness of some of his players after the Texas A&M game he said he basically was calling the team out and saying who's going to step up and and do something about this which makes me think that you know he's I don't know he, he he's never gonna he has at times 
you know, admitted to, and that's kind of coach speak when they say, you know, like, uh, the coaching staff could have done a, a better job preparing for this or something like that. You know, we don't want to put it all on your players, but he's kind of, seems like he's kind of reached the point where he's like, I, running out of coach speak. Yeah. Like I, what do you want me to do? Like they, they're not cutting it. And then that kind of goes back to recruiting, but mm-hmm. when it's a rebuild, you know, it's not the best situation for recruiting. And that's the unfortunate part about dealing with the same guys over almost his entire Mizzou career is if it really is just the players not being as good as they, as we thought they were going to be, is it really Conzo's fault? Like he needs, like, does he need more time to recruit more players that could, you know, be the more of a standard player he, he's looking for or tougher players or whatever? Um, I don't know. But yeah, I like, still think we see, we see what these players can be. Yeah. You know, even against good competition, we see what Mark Smith can do. We see what Drew Smith can do. Obviously, Jeremiah Tillman's been, that's been the case with him for three seasons now. But we see what these players can be. We see why they're on this team, why they have a scholarship. It's just this season is just a mess as far as everybody performing poorly all at the same time for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. You just don't typically see that when you when you have you know a talented roster. I never dreamed I would be like pining to see Jordan Geist like don the Missouri gear one more time. <laughs> Seriously. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, there's there's people, there's players not that long ago. I mean, you just think about the, the they include him in those four players we already talked about. Jonte, Cassius Robertson, Jordan Barnett. That was just such a luxury of having consistent players. Mm-hmm. That just you knew what you yeah, were going to get. Yeah, they came from. out and played the same way every game. And we have none of that right now. Not a single player on Monterey's roster, maybe Drew Smith, uh, are in that conversation where yeah. they just come out and play the same way every game. Well, that was fun. Um, we do have a fun segment, though. We teased <laughs> it at the beginning, so hopefully you're still here with us. It might be fun. It might we, not be fun if I can't get it for like half an hour. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a challenge, I'll admit. Um, we are going to play a little game of Mizzou basketball. Where are they now? And in this game, I start to describe a player from Mizzou's past who did not complete their basketball career with Missouri. And we see how long it takes for Kyle to figure out who I'm talking about. I think we got a good one this week. I, and when I was, I'm going to just start with the hints right away. When I was doing research on this player, a much, a, a much more robust basketball career than I gave them credit for before I started this research. Um, whenever you say a player that didn't finish at missouri what if could it be a player that maybe was like a grad transfer or was or they ineligible like uh like a this is basically just any player that played at missouri at some point left the program for any reason okay and then went on to do anything significant okay so it couldn't be like an alex oriaki who played one year but it was his last year no i would i would not really pick that kind of person gotcha that kind of person (laughs) <laughs> that we don't want his kind <laughs> i would not pick a player uh with that kind of career trajectory gotcha uh this player however was named mvp in the all canadian classic high school all-star game that also featured future number one nba pick anthony bennett anthony bennett you know played for unlv and then was the number one pick of the Cavs, but he was a huge bust negus webster chan oh my gosh ladies and gentlemen he got it in about five seconds. Yeah, like check your watch. <laughs> well, it was just the Canada thing. Like it was Technical either Caesar. True. I, I I tried to. I there had been a few guys come through Canada. Um, I put that Anthony Bennett thing in there to maybe try to give you some time frame to think yeah, about. Yeah. But he got it right away. Cool. Um, I meant to mention before that last year, last basketball season, we did talk about Torin Jones. Jakeen and Gant, Jonathan Williams. Kind of forget about him. Jonathan Williams. Yeah. Stefan Yankovic. Um, I mean, think about the careers these guys had after yeah. they left Missouri. It's insane. Um, went to Creighton, then went to Cal, then Creighton. Uh, Kreklo? Yes, Ricky Kreklo. And I think that was it. I think we did five last year. But uh, you got it right off the bat. So, Negus Webster-Chan, you may remember, played one season at Missouri. He was basically the 
backup point guard, mm-hmm. but he was kind of ill fit for that role. Yeah, he was frustrating to watch. I remember he had kind of ball security issues and yeah. had it stolen away a lot. But he, I didn't real, I didn't remember how big he was. He's six seven, two hundred pounds as a freshman, wow. and yeah, just thrown into this role where you're you're going to play backup backup point guard for about you know 15 minutes a game like okay uh he did have a season high 12 points and a win over vcu and then transferred after his freshman year was that the battle for atlantis yes it was okay they, uh also lost to louisville in that yeah tournament yeah well did the louisville win the national championship that year they sure did they, they were, were basically the best team in the country all season they were really good um in his so then he transferred to hawaii mm-hmm. um and in his sophomore season his i wasn't going to tell you that it was hawaii but in his sophomore season at his new school he shot 42 percent from three on five three-point attempts per game really good shooting wow. there obviously something we did not see at missouri uh also i found a flaw in ken palm's like player pages because usually you know it doesn't matter how many teams a player plays for you click on Jimmy Witt's profile, it shows Arkansas, SMU, SMU, Arkansas. Negus Webster Chan has two different player profiles on Kim Palm. He has one showing one season at Missouri and then a separate page. So you have to go to Hawaii's 2015 season, find him there, then click on him to see his stats for hmm. that one season at Hawaii. So, uh, Ken, if you're listening, please, please change that. Um, <laughs> He had a career-high 20 points in his only Ken Palm MVP performance in a win against Long Beach State. And then he only played one season at Hawaii before attempting to go pro. This is where things get a little bit interesting. Um, He played 12 games for the Halifax Hurricanes of the National Basketball League of Canada. And then he attended an open tryout for the Toronto Raptors G League affiliate and in this article, I found a, the attendants who wanted to participate had to pay $275 to try out for the G League affiliate of the Toronto Raptors. And coaching that team was Jerry Stackhouse, now Vanderbilt head coach. Um, he did earn a spot on that G League team and played parts of two different seasons before landing a spot on the Saskatchewan Rattlers of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. And he is playing there this season where he is averaging 15 points, three assists, and one steal per game. Wow. So that most recent article about uh, him playing for Saskatchewan was from December 2019. And he was just coming back. It was basically an article saying that he's coming back from injury. And we'll be back in the lineup. So I really <clears throat> didn't know anything about him after he left Missouri. I'm, I guess I knew he went to Hawaii, but that was it. Um, did he play there at the same time that Stefan Yankovic was there in Hawaii? Um, that's interesting because Stefan played part of his sophomore season at Missouri. So I'll have to look and see what the deal was there. I do remember Negus being a pretty highly rated recruit, if I remember correctly. So it was kind of a big deal to get him on campus. And then, yeah, I just don't think he was in the right role. I think he was probably more of a shooting guard rather than a true point guard. But yeah, kind of, he was kind of like a guard-forward hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, but he could shoot the ball really well at, at Hawaii. And, yes, um, they did share a season, Stefan's sophomore season after transferring from Missouri. Uh, was Negus Webster Chan's sophomore season. Uh, so just that one year together. But they played quite a bit um, on the court together. Uh, Stefan Yankovic only played in 25 games that season because he had, like so many players do, questionable timing on his decision to transfer because he already played a few games in his sophomore season. But uh, obviously we did. we talked about him last year and how he went on to lead Hawaii to the NCAA tournament and upset of Conzo Martin led Cal Golden Bears featuring Ivan Rabb and Jalen Brown. But I thought that was interesting. Uh, yeah, like you said, I, not a guy you really think about having much of a career after um, after Missouri and didn't 
really do a whole lot in his time at Missouri. But like you said, was a kind of a highly guarded recruit guy that we were interested in and was kind of thrown into a situation where we desperately needed a backup point guard, uh, lost Michael Dixon, got kicked off the team that season, um, because of his own questionable behavior and Phil Pressey just had nobody backing him up. So, and it was, I, I actually specifically remember games where they would took, take Pressey out just cause he needed a breather or had, you know, two fouls in the first half or something. And it was just like, okay, we're going to roll the dice here. How long can we go with Pressey on the bench? And it would mm-hmm. be like four minutes and we'd commit three turnovers and not score and be like, okay, we got to get Pressey back in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We literally just didn't have anybody else that could back him up. I, that might have just been why he was the oh, backup yeah. point guard because there's literally nobody else. And I remember he would just get the ball poked away from him at, at like half court all the time, just trying to bring the ball up yep. and he could barely do it sometimes because they would just be like hounding him. But dribbling the ball up the court at six seven probably isn't super easy. Yeah, um, I don't want to know how many times I would lose the ball trying to dribble uh, to half court <laughs> against the college defense. Yeah. Uh, but I thought uh, we'd just talk cool. about uh, Negus Webster Shan, take a little trip down memory lane, and um, kind of just talk about how well he's played in some Canadian basketball leagues. He Sounds does cold. He does still say that he uh, has dreams of getting back on a G league team and then maybe, you know, working his way into an NBA situation. But, uh, I don't know how well the Canadian elite basketball league pays, but 15 points, three assists and a steal will help. Sounds pretty good to me. Well, Kyle, do you have anything else, uh, that we need to go over this, this podcast episode? I think we have, uh, I think we've pretty well covered it. What do you think? I think we're good. Cool. Uh, we better get out of here before we have another technical difficulty. You're right. All right, guys. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcast, Yes. And Spotify. I saw you guys kind of like roll your eyes whenever I said you can find this podcast. Oh, no. We were talking about, we were referencing technical difficulties. Right, right, right. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week.